0: I'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If we have any children that are ready for Children's Church, they can head out there. Miss Erica. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're continuing our series this morning, just a short series, kind of walking once more uh, through our mission statement, coming back uh, as we kind of ended uh, our, our series on the law. We're getting ready in, in a few weeks here to go into... Um, the Gospel of John, and so wanted to take some time to just come back and refresh uh, what we say our our mission is as believers, which we we say, and as a church, is to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. And so I want to talk more about that this morning. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We see that that whole part of growing disciples in community Uh, Part of the reason that's necessary and part of the way that that is enabled is through the spiritual gifts that are given to us through Christ Jesus and through the working of his Holy Spirit in our lives. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse number one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. "...are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body are many... uh, I'm sorry, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. all suffer together, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gift gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles are all prophets are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you uh, a still more excellent way. I want to begin this morning by just simply talking about a ministry misconception, a ministry misconception. Sadly, uh, the, the church in our day and time, many Christians have fallen into a mindset of professionalism in the church. Um, though the, the New Testament is clear uh, that, that uh, those who study and, and those who give their lives to the ministry of teaching and, and shepherding uh, as an occupation are worthy of compensation. Uh, the New Testament is clear about that. Yet the, the New Testament picture of church ministry as a whole is far different than our modern conception this this idea of professionalism let me explain what what i mean by professionalism in in larger churches um, ministry positions are often filled by those who uh, do the work as as a job we view ministry as something to be done by those who are especially give gifted and have been trained and and are paid even in smaller churches, sometimes uh, these positions usually are filled by only a small handful of faithful volunteers. While they're usually not paid to do the work, they are nevertheless seen as being unique and, and especially devoted. Like they're the ones who do ministry. But in each case, when well, we're talking about large churches or, or small churches, typically the work of ministry is carried out by a select few While the vast majority are simply beneficiaries of the ministry and churches both large and small, the greatest number of people view the ministry of the church as a product or a service that they may consume. Uh, and so it's just like going to a restaurant. it's just like going to a store there. There are sort of people who work there whose job it is to help you procure the service that is offered in in this Uh, Business or in this location and that's the mindset that so many have in the church is like I go in and the pastor It's his job to preach and teach me and other people serve me other people help and so forth and so on And i'm just a consumer. I'm just receiving what is being offered By the church who is made up of these professionals either paid or unpaid volunteers who are sort of the professionals who do the work of ministry in the new testament though the exact opposite is true. One of the foundational doctrines of the New Testament is what we refer to as the priesthood of every believer. And what we mean by that is that there are no classes of Christians and that every believer has full access, full and equal access to God, and every individual believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. This doctrine has vastly important implications. It means, first of all, and, and really importantly, that you may go directly to the Lord. You, you may pray to the Lord. You, you can have a direct relationship with God himself as your father and that you do not need an intermediary. You do not need someone to go between you and the father. You may go, as the book of Hebrews says, boldly enter into the throne room of grace. So you don't come to me. You can come and ask me to pray for you and I will. But I don't have to pray for you so that God will hear your request. You may pray to the Lord because you, as a New Testament believer, are a priest. It means also... Uh, that you have the spirit of truth within you who illuminates scripture and and enables you to understand and believe the truth. And so you may be enabled or you may be helped and aided uh, by the ministry of preaching and teaching. And and certainly those are gifts that are given in the church and there's an office of pastor for sure. And and so you may be aided by pastors and teachers in, in coming to understand the word of God. And, and yet you may take up the word of God and read it yourself. And because you have the spirit of God dwelling within you who illuminates scripture, you can come on your own to understand the teaching of scripture. I always love what William Tyndale said. He was one who inter- or translated the, the Bible uh, into the English language. And many people in that day didn't believe in the priesthood of the believer. They believed that there were priests whose job it was to be the ones to tell you this is what the Bible says, this is what you, you don't read the Bible, I read the Bible, I study the Bible, I tell you what the Bible says, and then you just receive it from me. It's too complex for you, it's too hard for you, you wouldn't be able to understand it. And so because of that, in that day and time, the Bible was really only in in Latin, and the priest could read Latin, but the common Christian person could not read Latin, and so they had no access to even read the Bible and William Tyndale is is one who said this isn't right as part of the reformation they understood that every believer is a priest every believer can take up scripture and read it and be edified by the truth of God's word through the spirit who dwells within them and so people were questioning Tyndale and saying this isn't right but he was resolute in in his work to translate the Bible into the common language and he said this if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the Scriptures than you do. Speaking to another priest. In other words, look, listen, that plow boy who's just a, a poor farmer, if he has the Word of God in his own language and the Spirit of God is indwelling him, he will understand the Word of God better than you, priests who, who have twisted the Word of God. It means, thirdly, Uh, Another implication of this teaching, it means that those who have been indwelled by the Spirit of God, every every believer, that is, possess gifts of the Spirit to do the work of ministry. So so you, because you have the Spirit of God, you have gifts that have been given to you by the Spirit of God to do the work of ministry. Of the ministry you see the work of ministry is not just for me to do because I'm a pastor. It's not just for me and Jared and Donnie and Jeffrey if if they're called uh, into this work, it's like they do the work of the ministry and I'm just a common lay person. No, no, you're a priest. You have the spirit of God indwelling you and God's spirit has given you gifts so that you can be involved and carry out the work of the ministry in the church. This means that although the Bible does recognize special offices within the church, pastors and, and, and deacons, the ministry of the church is not in any one, in any way limited to those offices. We are all called to be. Ministers. And this is really the point of our text this morning. Every person who has truly confessed Jesus Christ has been given spiritual gifts for, this, for service within the body of Christ. Every person who has confessed that Jesus is Lord, who is a genuine believer, has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit who indwells them for the purpose of doing ministry. Let's jump into the context here, here a bit. The Corinthians were those who really knew all about spiritual gifts. That's what this whole... Uh, text is about in in chapter 12 they they knew about the spiritual gifts they were not neglecting the spiritual gifts the problem was for them that they were using the spiritual gifts sort of as as a badge of honor and as a source of pride and then that became uh, an issue of of bringing up conflict well because I have these gifts and you don't have them these are better gifts and you don't quite have the good gifts I've got the really miraculous really cool gifts and you're not as good and so there was this there was this division in the church there was all sorts of division in the Corinthian church we you could see that they divided over which leaders they liked the best Paul or Apollos or Peter they're divided over the rich and the poor when they come together at the Lord's table they're excluding uh, the poor and then then they're using even the spiritual gifts sort of as, as something to bring about division it's in this context then that Paul writes to tell us about these spiritual gifts. And as he does, he he reminds them that they're really not divided, but that there is a unity among them. Even though there's a diversity, there is a unity. He reminds them of this foundational truth, and that is that they have a common confession and they have a common possession. They have a common confession and a common possession. They were judging a person's spirituality by their gifting. But but Paul says they need to be judged by another standard. You see, the most important work in your life is not what gift God has given you. It's not what ability you have or what ability you don't have. The the most important work of God's spirit within you is that he leads you to confess that Jesus is Lord. The most important work of the Spirit is that idol-serving sinners like you and me would be led to confess Jesus as Lord. That's what he's saying in verses 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, that is, before you were believers, you were led astray to mute idols. You were idol worshipers. And notice here he says, however you were led. There was a diversity of idols. There were all kinds of different paths they could choose, different gods they could worship. But but no matter which path you took, you were led away to worship and to serve and to live for these mute idols, these these powerless, weak idols. This word led is, is a powerful word. He says, you're led away. This this uh, speaks of someone who is bound, like a prisoner who is taken captive. And you, he says, before Christ and before the work of God's Spirit in your life, you were led away like a captive, like a prisoner to mute idols. You see, one of the things that we need to recognize is that we were created to serve. Every individual, every human being has this longing and has this desire and has this inclination to worship and serve something. And we were clearly created to worship and serve God. It's fundamental to who we are. The problem is when we reject God, when we refuse to serve him, it's not as if we enter into this place of neutrality where, oh yeah, I'm not a worshiper anymore. I don't serve anyone anymore. I don't live for anything anymore. Uh, I'm just in this place of of neutrality. That's what the world tells themselves. I'm not religious. Like, I don't worship anything. No, no, no. The, The Bible would have you understand that you are a worshiper and that you are worshiping something or someone. You are living, you are devoted to something all the time. It's just a matter of what? Either the true God or some idol that you have made Out of the good things that god created the particular path is really inconsequential he says in verse number two you were led astray however you were led however you were led you were led into idolatry so it is today whatever path you choose if it isn't god if you aren't living for god if god is not supreme in your life if you're not worshiping and serving him then you're worshiping and serving something in one sense that it really doesn't matter what it is it's just not god And you were made to worship God. You're being led astray. Our idols are more subtle uh, than theirs were in in that day. And yet we still have idols. We still live for things. We still worship. We still serve things. You've heard me say it before. It may be money or entertainment or sex or status or power. Whatever it is, it may be your health. It, It may be entertainment. Any of those things, we can live for them. But notice he says that they are mute. That is just a way of saying they're powerless. They, they cannot deliver on what they promise. That was before Christ. But notice what verse number three says. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. He points them back to this work of the Spirit in their lives, whereas once they were led away like like slaves or like someone who who was in bondage, someone who was in prison and was being led astray with chains and and shackles. And and now they've been liberated by the Spirit of God to, to get away from that bondage and that slavery and to declare the Lord Jesus is my Master. No one, he says, can say Jesus is Lord except in the spirit. And so now I live for not those things that had me in bondage before, but now I live for and worship and love and serve and am devoted to Jesus Christ. And the only way that happens, Paul says, is by a work of God's spirit in your life. That's the only thing that can bring that change About No one, he says, can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit to break that bondage in your life is the only way you'll be delivered from your idolatry. And that liberating work of the Spirit uh, is something only the Spirit can do, and it, it really is the most important work of the Spirit in your life. You see, these Corinthians, they're pointing to spiritual gifts abilities some of the miraculous abilities that they have and they're saying this is what makes me spiritual this is my badge of honor as a christian i've spoken in tongues or i've prophesied or, or i've been able to heal someone i must be a really spiritual person and paul's saying those things as great as they are, as wonderful as that is that God has enabled you by His Spirit to do those things, that's not the most important work of the Spirit in your life. The most important work of the Spirit in your life. And I will say this, the most miraculous work of the Spirit in your life is that you who loved your idols were set free and were made able to declare Jesus is Lord. You see... The problem with spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are not a sure indicator of true spirituality. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are are not a good or a sure indicator of spirituality. It is true that spiritual gifts come from the spirit in the lives of believers. But listen to this, God in His providence over the world has given some of those same abilities to unbelievers as well. And and so it is no sure indicator of your true spiritual condition to be able to point at some gifting or some ability and say, look, that's what demonstrates that I really am a strong Christian. Yes, the Spirit of God can enable a pastor to speak with clarity and with boldness. That's a a work of God's spirit, and we praise him when when that happens in in the ministry of preaching. But guess what? God and his general goodness over all creation gives other people the ability to speak with boldness and with clarity. That's not something that is exclusive to Christians. Now it's exclusive in, in that we're given the ability to declare God's word. Uh, but but it's not exclusive in terms of just being able to do that thing. There are gifted speakers who are, are unbelievers. Yes, the Holy Spirit does enable some believers to serve with excellence. but God has enabled many believers to serve. Uh, many unbelievers to serve in the same way. There are people that are very skilled in service. There are people who are very skilled, very gifted in organizational leadership, et cetera, et cetera. There are all kinds of gifts that God gives to unbelievers, we call this common grace. God gives grace to unbelievers just like he gives grace uh, to to believers. Not all the same kind of grace, but he does give grace to unbelievers. Just look back in in the uh, uh, Old Testament. You think about the magicians in in Egypt who were able to replicate the miraculous signs uh, that, that Moses performed. God has given unbelievers abilities and powers that mirror the spiritual gifts so the problem is that we cannot determine spirituality based on gifts extraordinary giftedness is no sure sign that a person is spiritual think about saul in the old testament who was gifted he was he was great and powerful and yet he was not uh, really who uh, a man after god's own heart like david you could think of judas who apparently was able to perform signs and miracles like the other apostles, and yet he was a, a son of perdition, Jesus says. You could even look at the Corinthians here. In the, in the letter of the, the Corinthians, there are those who are super apostles, but who are preaching another Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, uh, of those who uh, on the last day are going to say, Lord, we did these gifts, we, we did these wonderful works. We had miraculous gifts to cast out demons and so forth and so on. And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And so John Owen has said, spiritual gifts change not the heart. They renew not the mind. They transform the soul, not the soul into the image of God. This is the most important really question for us individually then when we're talking about the Spirit it, it isn't are you gifted or do you have certain abilities the the real question is has the Spirit of God enabled you to confess and, and to live out a life that is indicative of someone who sees Jesus as their Lord it's so important because I know Jared when he preached on uh, pastoral ministry and the qualifications one of the great weaknesses of the modern church is that we look for the gifted and not those who are faithfully submitting their lives to Jesus Christ. We, we don't look for someone who's devoted to their family, someone who's faithful. We look for someone who's, who's skilled in this particular ministry or that. But we need, to, we need to see this most important of all gifts of the Spirit. The second thing that we see is the, the personal nature of the spiritual gifts the personal nature of the spiritual gifts here we see that every christian everyone who confesses jesus is lord is gifted you can see this in verse number six he says and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all in everyone everyone is enabled has these spiritual gifts enabled and then in verse number seven to each one to each believer is given a manifestation of the Spirit. So it isn't just an elite group of Christians who, who have uh, some spiritual gift. And this idea is reinforced all over the New Testament. And In 1 Peter it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. You hear that? He's just assuming, the Apostle Paul is assuming that every person that he's writing to, every member of this church has gifts, having gifts that differ. So what this means, if you're here this morning and you are genuinely a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been saved and you've confessed that Jesus is Lord, you have spiritual gifts given to you by the Spirit of God, for the purpose of ministry. Now, what we need to see in this text is the, these gifts vary among believers. They're, they're not all the same. And so we see three times in verses 5 and 6, he uses the word variety. And he's doing that intentionally to drive home the point. Variety, variety, variety. Look at verse 5. He, he says this, And there are varieties of service, but, or verse four is really where we start. Now, now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. That's what, he, what he's saying here is that it's not cookie cutter. If you're a believer, you get this list of of seven gifts and you have all seven gifts and, and here this person believes and confesses that Jesus is Lord, the Spirit indwells them, now they get the same seven gifts. No, no, no. Variety, variety, variety. You all have gifts, but they vary depending on God's plan for your life and what He's calling you to do. This is the point that Paul is stressing in a church that seemed to focus on certain gifts as being really important or or, or really more special. Paul is making the point that there are any number of possible gifts. Again, in Romans 12, 5, he says, having gifts that differ. There are a whole list. There are a whole host of different kinds of gifts or abilities that the Spirit of God can enable within you. There is variety among believers. And this helps us sort of rule out this mistaken notion that only pastors are in ministry. Only they're qualified to do the work of ministry. Only they're gifted to do the work of ministry. No, no, no. Every believer is given gifts miraculously by the Spirit of God for the work of ministry. And this diversity really is essential. Paul's point is that just as the body is diverse, the human body is diverse, so is the church. And this diversity is essential to a healthy body. It's, it's not only a statement of reality hey, there's this diversity and you all need to get along. No, no, it's essential. We must have diversity. We cannot have everyone having a single gift or a single list of gifts. We, we need diversity. We need individuals who are gifted to do various sorts of things so that the church may be edified and grow up grow up in the ways that, that are needed. Diversity is essential. What this means then is that no member is insignificant to the ministry of the church. There isn't an insignificant member. If you are here and you are a Christian, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do work in the ministry, uh, work of, of ministry, and, and you are then essential. You are not insignificant. That's what he's, the point he's making in verses 14 through 16. He says, "For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, "Because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less." part of the body he goes on we won't we won't continue to read but you see his logic there well I'm not the hand the hand does so much man look how important the hand is I'm just a foot so I'm not I'm really just insignificant I'm really not even needed look look at all the things the hand does look how amazing the hand is and so I guess I'm really not even part of the body no no, no. there there's no part that is insignificant and so it is with you believer You've been gifted to do some work of service within the body of Christ, and you don't say, look at the pastor. The man, he gets up every, every Sunday, and he preaches the word, and, and he gives his whole life to this, and I'm not that, so you know, I'm just not really that important. No, 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 you need a foot, right? The hand is important, you don't want to give up the, the hand, but the foot is not insignificant. And so it is in the body of Christ. Yes, we need pastors. We're, we're hopefully going to call a couple more to do the work of ministry in, in that particular way. But that doesn't mean that we don't need anyone else. Every member is significant. Every member is vital. Each member is essential for their particular function. Verse 17 helps us see that, that diversity is essential to make up a properly functioning body. If the whole body were an I, where would the sense of hearing be? And he goes on from there. But again, you, you see the logic, right? Like, like if, if all you had uh, was an eye, eyes are miraculous. They're amazing. We love our eyes, but, but we also want an ear. That, that diversity is essential. Uh, and, and it's essential. We need those particular functions for a properly functioning body. None of us want to give up our hand, but, but we don't want to be only a hand. And then we see that every member is dependent upon others. Verse, verse number 21 makes this point. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Eye's important. We need the eye. The eye needs the hand. All of us are interconnected as a body. Again, I'm doing the membership class in, in Sunday school. I'd encourage you to come to that. Uh, but but in the membership class, we've just been seeing that, that really we as believers, New Testament believers, are... Are to be part of a local body. And this is just one more reason to show us that, and that is because you don't have everything that you need. You don't have everything that you need to edify yourself and to be this lone ranger Christian over here that says, I've got it all. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. No, no, you might be an I. You might be a really important part, but you need the rest of the body to be, uh, to be functioning properly. Listen, the body needs you. The body needs you. And so when you isolate yourself, that's not good either because you're you're neglecting to to be what what you're gifted to do for other Christians, but you need the rest of the body as well. You need others who can edify and who can minister to you. Every member is dependent on others. So if you're a part of this church, you're essential to the work. We exist. To glorify God by growing disciples. That's our work. That's our mission. And you are essential to that mission. Every last one of you who are believers, you are essential. We cannot accomplish this mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ apart from you, without you. It is a necessity. You say, well, Jared and Andrew, they're doing the work and we're all just... No, no, no. We, we can do the work that we're called to do. We can do the work that we're gifted to do, but we cannot do the work that you are called to do. We cannot do the work that you are gifted to do. At least we cannot do it very well. The expectation that a pastor or the pastors and maybe a few others in in ministry is really do do the ministry, that's a fatal notion to a church. It is a deadly idea. A church that adopts that attitude is unhealthy and will eventually die. In medical terms, sometimes we speak of the body shutting down, and we mean by that 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 some members or some parts of the body are not doing, they're no longer doing their their function, right? They're not performing their functions any longer. And we understand that apart from some intervention to remedy that problem, it's ultimately going to to end in death in, in a short time. So so if your kidneys are, are shutting down or your liver is shutting down, like if there's no medical intervention to change what's happening there, you will die. The same is true of the church. If we're a body and there are parts of the body that are shutting down that are no longer operating as they are to operate, the church will not be healthy and it will ultimately die. God has placed you, each one of you, every every one of you here at Union Baptist Church for a particular purpose. He's gifted you in a certain way and he has chosen for you to be here to make up an important or an essential component to this body of Christ. Look at verse 18 to see that that God has, has done this. He has arranged this. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, God put you here. God, the Holy Spirit, gifted you with the particular gift that you have so that you can minister, so that you can do the work of ministry, so that you can edify this body of Jesus Christ. You're essential. It's part of God's plan. You could see that again in verse number 24. He makes the same point. Uh, The the members which are more presentable uh, parts do not require, but God has so composed the body He has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. God has arranged this. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Well, it is the building up, as I've already been saying. There's a purpose for all that, and that is to build up the body of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number seven, verse number seven. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. You see, you've been given those gifts of God, not just to not to just enjoy them personally, not to not to use those for your own benefit or just the, the benefit of your family uh, or that you could do this and make money in your occupation. You've been given the gifts that God has given you. Do you notice the words here for the common good to, to edify The body of christ you haven't been given these gifts for accolades or for praise or for status it's not for your own benefit it 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 is that you may help others in fact in verses four and five we we see that the the term gifts is interchanged with service so look at verse four now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of service but the same lord do you see how the idea of having gifts and serving are so, so interconnected, that they're so linked, that he can just change those out. He can call them gifts, and another, he can call them service. That's because the purpose of your gifts is that you would serve others. We are to serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We're to use these gifts for one another. Jesus is our model in this, who said that Jesus said of himself, I I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. This mindset of Christ is to be in all of his people. The gifts that God has given you, he, he expects you to use them for the common good, for the service of other brothers and sisters of Christ. We see also the power for these spiritual gifts. In verses six and, and 11, we, we see that not only does uh, God give us the ability, these abilities. Not only does the Holy Spirit enable us to do these things, but then He also empowers us to be able to use these gifts. As well, it is the Spirit who empowers or, or who gives energy. So, look at verse uh, number six again, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. That that word empowers is really the word uh, where we get our word energy. Right? It's like the fuel. It's, it gives us the ability then to, to actually carry these out. So it isn't as if God just gives you this ability, uh, but He doesn't give you any desire or, or any uh, sort of fuel or energy to carry that out. Not only does He give you the ability, He empowers you to do the thing that He's called you to do. The power for spiritual gifts is given to us. What, what leads, uh, what, what is left then? is merely our obedience. He's given you the ability. He's given you the strength or the energy to do it. The only thing that is left is for you to obey what God has called you to do and put into practice the, the, the gift that God has given to you for the common good, for the building up of the body of Christ. It seems that every time these, command, these gifts are, are mentioned, the command is this, use them. Use them. We see this in 1 uh, Peter 4 again. As each one has received a gift, use it, he says. 1 Peter 4 use it. That's, that's the command. That, that's the indicative. Here's uh, the imperative. The indicative is this God has given you these gifts. Praise the Lord for such a wonderful reality. But now here is the uh, indicative. Here is the command for you use them, put them into service. Don't don't let them lay by idly, wasting them and and, and being a bad steward. Romans chapter 12 says the same thing. Having gifts that differ, let us use them. Let us use them. Everywhere these gifts are mentioned, the exhortation for New Testament believers is that you would put them into practice. Why is that? Why why do you think he always says that? Well, I think he says that uh, because we are often so self-focused. We are often maybe so lazy. We, we're often so negligent to do what God has called us to do. And so He gives us these gifts. He gives us the Spirit to empower them. And yet we sit idly by. We see people in need. We see ministries going un, uh, uncompleted and unfulfilled. We, we see the needs all around us. And yet we are idle. And so the exhortation for us this morning uh, is God has given us this wonderful reality, spiritual gifts. He's empowered them in us. Now let us use them. Do you know what what God has called you to do? Do you know how God has gifted you for service? Put it into practice. Don't sit on the sideline. And so many people. There's so many reasons why we do that, right? So many, so many excuses that I've heard as as a pastor. Well, I used to serve, but then I got burnout. Or I used to serve, but then someone hurt me. Or, or maybe you know, I, I just don't think this gift is is that important. Or maybe I don't fully know what my gifts are. There, there are all kinds of sort of reasons that we can throw up about why we don't serve in the church. But none of them are finally going to be acceptable to the Lord. We're called to put these things into use. The reason for these admonitions is we are given so often to think only about ourselves. We need to be constantly called to service for others. It doesn't come naturally for for most of us. We have been given a task to do. We have been given the abilities to. We need to carry out this task, and we have been given the energy to use the gifts. So what does that leave? It leaves, leaves only our obedience. And so I would encourage you this morning, if we think about who we are as a church, that, that you would see yourself as part of that. That mission statement isn't just for the pastors, right? It's for every last one of us. You exist individually and us collectively to, glor- to glorify God. And we do that by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. How are you contributing to the to the work of making disciples of Jesus Christ? All of us should be in, in some way, right? And maybe you don't clearly see how you connect to that. But I will tell you this if you're a believer who's confessed that Jesus is Lord, you do connect to that. If you're a member of this church, you are connected. God has put you here. He has so composed this body with the people that He has placed here. And so you are vitally essential to that, to that mission. And, and so you need to begin praying and seeking the Lord's will about not not what, not should I be serving, but where should I be serving? How should I be serving? What gifts should I be using for the glory of God and growing disciples of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful gift that you've given to us, uh, that these spiritual gifts, God. And uh, we praise you. We know that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. Uh, we, we delight in the reality of the gospel that has taken broken, idolatrous sinners who, who serve the things of this world and has led us to declare that Jesus is Lord and, and then has equipped us and made us part of this mission of, of taking the gospel message to other people and, and, and ministering the word of God to others. Help us all see our place in that. Help us understand where we fit in, uh, what you would call us to do, and how we can serve in making disciples of Jesus Christ for your glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.